From NPR News in New York, this is the Bryant Park Project. Overlooking historic Bryant Park in Midtown Manhattan, live from NPR Studios, this is the Bryant Park Project from NPR News. News, information, schlub. I'm Mike Pesca. It's Friday, July 18th, 2008. I'm Mike Pesca, schlub, debatable. You know, before the show, I was uh, printing out one of the, uh, you know, most things that we're going to read later in the show. I looked down, I noticed I was working on the laser jet printer. The laser jet printer. That has got to be the most disappointing part of my life, and yours too if you think about it. Let's say 20 years ago, a, a fortune teller, a magical genie, Kazam, says, I will offer you this deal. I will allow you to peek slightly into the future what you will be spending your time doing. And you would, of course, say, tell me, tell me, oh genie. And he will look through the clouds and peer through the gossamer haze and say, yes, it is a, it is a piece of machinery. You are working with this machinery. It is a laser jet. You will spend your days with a laser jet, but I don't know how. I don't know why it's all fading. And for 20 years, your mind would spin. You would say, my God, I hope I am the, on the right side of this global battle. I hope our laser jet technology whoops our enemies and their primitive pulse rays. Maybe the laser jet will patrol the skies as a force for righteousness. I can't wait to see of my encounters with the laser jet. Cut to 20 years later. You're in the office. You're being asked to check tray two. Is it letter or legal? What does that mean? Is letter or does, does that mean if it's not legal, it's letter? Letters are illegal? What are you telling me? These are the things I think about because the laser jet disappointment has just dampened my life. Damn you, Kazam. Damn you and your paper jams. Wait a minute, paper jams. Perhaps, for instance, delicious foodstuffs will be fashioned out of household items like concrete mustard and particle broad particle board frosting. Yes, is that what you mean by paper jam? I guess I'm, I just keep doing this unrealistic leap of sci-fi. I don't know why. On the show today, going from schlub to stud, Judd Apatow may have raised the schlub to exalted levels never seen before, but the schlub will always aspire to be a stud. We'll talk to a, a former schlub, now a stud. You know what? He'll cop to it. He's still kind of a schlub. The breeders are in studio to talk and perform for us, and movies with Daniel Holloway, which means Batman. Well, let's kick things off with the latest news headlines with the BPP's Mark Garrison. This is NPR. Thank you, Mike. Go ahead, eat that tomato. Red, round, Roma, cherry, plum, on the vine, off the vine, whatever. The government now says they're safe. But the salmonella mystery continues, still under suspicion, hot peppers. The government warning stands to avoid jalapeno and sereno peppers. A major American prison system is under fire. The feds found unsafe and at times inhumane conditions at Chicago's Cook County Jail. NPR's David Shaper has more from Chicago. Chicago U.S. Attorney Patrick Fitzgerald says an investigation by his office in the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division finds conditions in the Cook County Jail, the nation's largest single-site county jail with close to 10,000 inmates a day, to be unconstitutional. He cites everything from plumbing, ventilation, and electrical problems to a culture of abuse by jail guards and inadequate medical and mental health care. People have died. Um, people have been amputated, people have been beaten, people have been hospitalized for reasons that shouldn't happen, and at a certain point, that has to stop. Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart, who runs the jail, acknowledges some of the problems, but also blasts Fitzgerald for relying on inflammatory language and anecdotes and hearsay from inmates. 
NPR's David Shaper reporting from Chicago. The massive fires in California threaten people and property, but wildfires can strike wildlife, too. Feeling the heat, 50 endangered California condors. The flames tore through a sanctuary near Big Sur, but the birds were smart and had some help. Nearly all made it out alive. Bob Hensley of member station KXJZ has the story. Relying on instincts, 43 adult condors escaped the blaze and located fresh air and food that included a beached whale. As flames closed in on the sanctuary, officials with the Ventana Wildlife Society orchestrated a rescue of seven chicks and an adult bird. A U.S. Coast Guard helicopter carrying biologists made two trips to the sanctuary. The Society's executive director, Kelly Sorensen, says some birds nearly perished when on the second trip, the helicopter had difficulty landing due to thick smoke. It did manage to find the helicopter pad. The remaining condors were loaded onto the helicopter and flown back to Monterey just in the nick of time. The flames destroyed an aviary, a release pen, and thousands of dollars worth of equipment. There are only 315 condors in existence. Bob Hensley of member station KXJZ reporting, and that is your news for now. More online at NPR.org. This is NPR. Actor Seth Rogen is on the cover of this month's GQ magazine. Rogen, best known for his slovenly characters in Superbad and Knocked Up, is not your typical GQ man. He's chubby, he has a big fro, and he wears his natty suit with a big dose of irony. Yet there is something endearing about him, a messy everyman quality, kind of like the post-adolescent guy next door who never moved out of his parents' basement. He's a schlub. In fact, Seth Rogen is king of schlubs. Now, few people have ever had this thought, Seth Rogen is going to improve my sex life. Very few women and probably even fewer men, if any. But Max Gross did have that thought. He is the author of From Schlub to Stud, How to Embrace Your Inner Mensch and Conquer the Big City. Hey, Max. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. So what's the Seth Rogen tie-in? Um, well, uh, basically, when Knocked Up came out, I basically had the thought that you said, you know, that uh, Seth Rogen is going to dramatically improve Max Gross's sex life. Um, I'm a writer for the New York Post, so uh, one of my colleagues said, oh, you should totally write that up. Um, Because you look like Rogen? I look exactly like Rogen. In fact, several people have over the years, or since Knocked Up came out, so over the year, um, stopped me in the street and said, are are, are you that guy from Superbad or or Knocked Up or something like that? And uh, your first assignment when the editor said, hey, did he say go around and be Seth Rogen or do a poll? Will Seth Rogen help me? Well, I I was planning on just doing it as like kind of a think piece, like, you know, because when I had seen Knocked Up... There were so many, like, doo-eyed women in the, you know, movie theater who were just like, oh, he's so sweet. I need a dependable loser like that. And so I, you know, my initial thought was, <laughs> come come to Papa. You know, this is, I'm your guy. Um, and so my editor thought it was a really funny idea. And then he said, you should take it a step further. You should go down to Bryant Park and just go up to attractive women and, you know, ask them if they'd seen the movie if they liked him, and then hold up a picture of Seth Rogen next to you and say, well, if you'll go out with him, would you go out with me? Yeah, it would be odd if that weren't for a magazine or newspaper piece, if that was just your gambit to pick yeah. up women. No, I don't think... Th- well, and also, I, I had the advantage. I went with a photographer yeah, with me. some legitimacy. Now, from the article itself, the book, to an extent, well, it sprang from your life, but it sprang from the article, but did you get any dates out of it? Oh, I did. I bet my girlfriend through the article, actually. Really? Um, my now, unfortunately, ex girlfriend. Um, 
So actually, even though it's from schlub to stud, it's a in in you know truth be told, it's a little schlub to stud then semi back to schlub again. Well, um, I yeah, I actually do think the title is very very slightly misleading in the sense that I think that you can channel your schlubbiness into studliness. Yeah. It's like kind of, but that's like a kind of unwieldy title. All right. Now I know the book is about your journey, but I really want to get into some spend some time examining the schlub phenomenon. First of all, where does the word come from? Well, it's a Yiddish word, um, and you know it basically means like a hapless or sort of like clumsy person. Um, but they have know, the word klutz for that too. Well, I think that um, klutz just refers to your like physical, Manual like you know, like yeah, you're yeah, you're, yeah. you're 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 a klutz. You drop things. You're clumsy. Blah blah blah. I think schlub is also just like uh, an attitude. Like you know, it's also like kind of like. Um, bewildered and befuddled by, you know, the everyday instances of life that everybody can sort of deal with, like a schlub sort of doesn't deal with it very well. It doesn't know how or never learned those lessons. How does a schlub differ from a slob or a nerd or a combo slurred? <laughs> um, well, um, in terms of a slob, I think that uh, that, that goes to the, the klutz thing a little bit. I mean, I think that um, a schlub is also... You know, I think all schlubs are slobby, but not all slobs are schlubby. Right. Um, I think that um, in terms of a nerd, I mean, I don't think of myself. I mean, I, I'm definitely a nerd, but not all schlubs are nerds. And and I know that you know there are certain you know interests that I have that are not you know nerdy. I mean, like you know, I I think that a nerd you know, like something like Dungeons and Dragons, whereas a schlub will like something like the Flaming Lips or something like that. One reason I feel really bad for the schlub, and it's easy for people to say, get up off your schlub butt and do something. <laughs> but I think society gives the schlub such mixed messages in that beautiful people are always consciously going for the tousled hair look. Model type guys are walking around in distressed jeans and with their shirt untucked. But those things, for those people, they're more calculated is the is the point. And the schlub, though he comes to it naturally, it's actually achieving a different effect. I think you're right. I think that there, there definitely is that. Um, and I guess it's just one of those things that, you know, you know – you know, instinctively. I mean, like, you know, there's something in our brains that can tell us when it's the genuine article and when it's an affectation. And the people who can affect it, you know, are generally cooler than yeah. the people who just do it naturally. So many of the great comedies are essentially slobs versus snobs, Caddyshack, Animal House, all the Kevin Smith movies, all the Judd Apatow movies. So it seems like we like this story. If that's the case, why does the schlub have it so hard in society? If we love that story, if we hate the snobs and love the slobs or the schlubs. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it is one of those things. I mean, like, you know, to a certain extent, all those movies are uh, fantasies. I mean, you know, they, they I think that there are subsets of, you know, women and, you know, people in society and stuff like that who do love the schlub, mm -hmm. you know, who see it for, for, for its its worth. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are, you know, superficial and, you know, um, a lot of women, you know, wouldn't look twice at me, but, you know, some do. Before and... you went to the stud. Right, exactly. Yes, pre, pre stud. <laughs> pre stud, exactly. There's a very attractive girl on the cover of the book. Is this meant to be the girl that you got as the stud? <laughs> um, symbolically, yes. That was not my girlfriend. And it actually um, did cause a very, very big fight at the, at, at, when, when she saw this. 
Um, your real girlfriend. My real girlfriend. Didn't like the girl who was posing as your girlfriend. Exactly. Why is that? Well, I mean, I think she was a little, like, jealous. I think she was like, you know, wait, 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 what, what happened to me? Um, but my publisher and I were discussing it, and they were like, we need a hot blonde. Because they, they wanted somebody blonde and very clearly un-Jewish looking, uh-huh. you know. And so, so hot blonde, and my girlfriend is dark haired. She's, she's gorgeous, or, you know, but... Um, she didn't look like, you know, the shiksa, like, you know. Of, the shiksa goddess. Right. Anything, any advice for the young schlubs out there who maybe want to stud up themselves? Well, harness your schlub. Never forget your schlub roots. But, you know, it's, 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 and it's very healthy to embrace them. But uh, also take a look at yourself, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a good thing to be a schlub, but sometimes you have to, you know, realize that the world is not composed of completely of schlubs. And, you know, you have to think about the way... Your presentation hits others. Max Gross, author of From Schlub to Stud. The book comes out on August 1st. Thanks for stopping by, Max. My pleasure. So as Max mentioned there, the book started out with an article in Bryant Park, which is an actual gathering place right here across from our studios from whence we get our name. And today we couldn't help but noticing if you looked really hard at Bryant Park, there was a line of uh, about 2,000 little girls lined up around it because something is going on there that you won't believe. I believe BPB producer Ian Chillog is on the phone with me. Hello, Ian. Wow, great phone line. Uh, can I say there's no place you'd rather be than where you are right now? Uh, I, I can't actually verify that. There are many places I would rather be. Uh, every place in the world other than this comes to mind. Okay, actually. okay. so tell me what you're seeing all around you. What's going on? Um, it's, it's very pink, Mike. There's a lot of pink. There's a lot of uh, 12-year-olds. Actually, saw a the, the line is enormous. I can't, I don't even really understand it. Uh, <laughs> just kind of going back and forth around Bryant Park. I saw a second ago this minivan opened up. Well, well, we got Ian. I got to stop you. I don't think we've said what's the headline. Why are all these little girls there? Oh, well, I'm sorry. I, I thought you did that. Yeah, Miley Cyrus is playing. There the you go. The park. Miley's playing a free concert. Yeah, as I understand, I can't. I can't get close enough. I can't get past the cops. Cops to really get in. Although, uh, if which seems to be a problem for everybody here, actually. Although, if time is money, it's not that free because I understand that some of these people have been online since yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and and I am seeing some disappointment from people that sort of didn't realize the massive Miley crowds. You know, the people just pulling up. I saw sort of. Girls that were, they looked like Russian nesting dolls. They were just eight slightly larger than the next versions of the same girl that got out of a minivan. Were they were they kind enough to go in order, or did you have to do that math in your head? <laughs> no, they were in order. It was nice. Yeah. Give me an. I don't know if we'll hear it because from our offices here on the nineteenth floor, we heard distinctive sounds. Um, I don't yeah. know if we'll pick it up on your cell phone, but tell me about what kind of sounds you're hearing. Um, well. I, I think, you know, there's, there's a frequency that only uh, dogs and 13-year-old girls can hear, which, which we're not getting. Um, there's some, you know, a, a little bit of giggling also, some crying, some angry parents. Um, that's, that's mostly it. There's no music yet. Uh-huh. Uh, once, once she starts playing, there, there probably still won't be music, but there will be simulated music, so, I, so listen for that. But I have been hearing just for ra- random screams, and when one scream starts, it seems to build and then stop, and it doesn't seem related to anything like prompts. Are you hearing those screams? Uh, 
I'm sorry, say again, Mike. Are you hearing waves of screams? Yeah, and I think that's that phenomenon where you're waiting at a show and, like, the roadie comes out. Yeah. And you're in the back and you can't really tell, so you're like, oh, no, it's not. Yeah. I thought in real life she wouldn't be a 28-year-old guy with tattoos, but who knew? Ian, thanks very much. I'm not familiar. I don't know. <laughs> thanks, thanks very much. And a band who could only hope to achieve the skill level of Miley. The Breeders are coming up next on the Brian Park Project from NPR News. Yes, it was 1984, and Ray Parker Jr. asked and answered the musical question, who are you going to call? And Dan, what did he tell us was the answer to that question? I think he was going to call Dr. Phil, wasn't he? Mm, no, you've just been contradicted. Hannah Montana. All right. He stole this song from uh, Huey Lewis, from what I understand, from my watching of the Behind the Musics. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you watch Behind the Music Huey Lewis or Behind the Music Ray Parker Jr.? Uh, Behind the Music Stolen Songs. Oh. Yeah, no, I think it was a Huey Lewis and it was very disappointing Behind the Music because Huey is like so normal. But this is from I Want a New Drug. It's the same exact. Yeah, if you listen to them both side by side. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll I, do that. I, I, haven't sa- I haven't said welcome back to the Brian Park Project from NPR News online all the time at npr.org slash Park. And I guess I've been uh, filibustering because I know when I introduce the next segment, it has its own music. And I don't want the joy to end, but I'll have to say it. Ladies and gentlemen, my last most. So here's a collection of all the stories that are bandied about the Internet. And Trish, you want to start us off? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, I have one of the most read stories at USA Today. It's uh, Starbucks. It's now official. Starbucks has named all 600 of their company-owned stores that they are going to close. Uh, they had released a, a short list of 50 stores uh, earlier, but now we've got the whole 600. So immediately uh, clicked on the little PDF that came with the article to see. Fingers crossed. Will the Starbucks that I go to every day in East Rutherford, New Jersey, the one with the drive-through, oh, wow. will it still be open? And, and? It's still open. It survived the cut. I'm a happy person. Otherwise, you'd have to go with the one Did they say, by the way, out of the 600 that are being, so there's 600 being cut, how many does that leave? Um, I think it leaves 4,792,000. Okay. That's that's not including the Starbucks inside the Starbucks. (laughs) Seriously. But uh, from store number 9,684 in Birmingham, Alabama, to store 11,213 in Tridelphia, West Virginia. I've got the whole list here. Wait, there are 11,000 stores in West Virginia? No, no, no. That's just the store number. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. just the store number. And of course you say, yeah, so you're closing. And they're like, no, 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 not closing. Venti. I hate when they do that. Mark. (laughs) (laughs) I got a most emailed from Yahoo News. Uh, New survey, uh, San Francisco is the most walkable U.S. city here in New York. We're number two. Boston's number three. Survey comes from walkscore.com. It's a little different because usually a walking survey is about how pretty it is or what the weather is like. Mm -hmm. This is like a straight-up Google map, GIS kind of thing where basically can you walk to to what you need? How close is the grocery, the restaurant, the doctor? I also break it down by neighborhoods in Midtown where we are. It's 99 out of 100, technically making it a, quote, walker's paradise. That's their term. And and I, I can see that's the thing, but in practice I find it debatable because you, you try and go get your lunch you have to dodge all these sandwich board hawkers and unexplained steam and puddles when it hasn't rained right. and stop and go tourists so I, 12, I don't know if I don't feel walker paradise yeah yeah I've been spending most of my life living in a walker's paradise and it ain't no paradise you're right you are right about word. that <laughs> word and uh, no way, he's back from the Miley Oh my fans. god, look at that. He ran into the studio. Ugh. Hey, Ian. Hey. It's that same guy from the phone. You know Ugh. what it's like? It's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where your whole life you didn't know why you were you spent so much time running, and this is where it pays off at the end. Ugh. It just I'm, saved your I'm, life. 
You have a most a lot there? of breath. Yeah. Yes, I do. This is a most popular from the uh, Charles. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> the Charleston Daily Aren't Mail. Are you a marathon runner? Did you just come up in the elevator? I had to take the stairs. Twelve-year-olds. <laughs> it, it was like the steeplechase. It was horrible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, my hometown, Charleston, West Virginia, there's a big scam going on. An organization that calls itself the West Virginia Food Service Compliance Center. Mm, sounds sounds official. <laughs> it's fake. They've been uh, oh. warning businesses around the state that they are required to post signs rec- that tell employees to wash their hands. Uh, no such law exists. So they then sell posters that tell employees to wash their hands to uh. businesses. They make a cut. I looked around a little bit. It turns out this is actually kind of a, a nationwide scam. There are, mm. There's a Michigan Food Service Compliance Center. Well, I happen to be the president of the United States Food Service Deliciousness Center. Yeah. And I'm going to be con- conducting some random uh, random tests all around Midtown the next few weeks, and people are just going to have to hand over the most expensive items on their menu for my inspection. I always thought employees must wash hands was for us, the customers, and not for the employees. Yeah, I, I always thought to so, too. assure us, yeah. yeah. All right, I got the most emailed from the Washington Post. Terrorism funds may let brass fly in style. And this is a story about the Air Force decided to kind of uh, gin up its planes so that when top generals and civilian politicians fly on Air Force planes, they fly in luxury. An Air Force document specified that the capsule seats are to swivel such that, quote, the longitudinal axis of the seat is parallel to the longitudinal axis of the aircraft. They wanted to go better than the classiest airline, and so they came out with these really swivelly, cushy seats, and there was some debate, should we divert the funds from t- fighting terrorists? And uh, it turns out that John Mirth and others objected to that, but there's some question about where these funds for the cushy Air Force seats are coming from. Dan. Hey, how are you, Mike? Uh, I got a most emailed from Yahoo News. North Korea's Hotel of Doom wakes from its coma. Uh, Esquire magazine dubbed this, this structure as the worst building in the history of mankind. It's the 105-story Ryugyang Hotel. Uh, it's back under construction after a 16-year lull. North Korea started building it back when South Korea was about to host the Olympics because the North was getting a little bit jealous. It's a massive structure, pyramid-shaped, and they ran out of money. So it was sitting, half completed for 16 years. There's serious concerns over whether it's even safe. They estimate it would cost $2 billion to finish construction and make it safe. And uh, apparently they have started building it again. An Egyptian company is back in there, and they are refurbishing the top floors, and there's work going on at the the Hotel of Doom, as it was dubbed. All right, and that is your most, my last most. Links to these mostly most fine stories are on your site at npr.org slash Park. Dayton, Ohio has given us many great things. The flight, the end of the Bosnian War, the Dayton Agreement, the Hulk. Yes, in the comics, Dr. Bruce Banner was from Dayton. WKRP's Gary Sandy, born in Dayton, and of course, the Sisters Deal. Kim first gained fame as the bassist for the Pixies, and she and her twin sister, Kim, uh, sorry, Kelly, formed the Breeders. They had a hit with Cannonball in the 90s and have just been putting out great music at a slow but deliberate pace ever since, including their newest release, Mountain Battles, which includes Jose Medellis and Mando Lopez. 
All the breeders join me in the studio. The first discovery was that the deals still live in Dayton. Uh, yeah, my mother has the Alzheimer's. Yeah. So me and my dad live there in the house with And you her. help her out. Yeah. yeah. I help my dad out, really. Right. I feel like I do. It's really about him, isn't it? Yeah, the caregivers, you know. So, Kelly, you mm-hmm. don't live in Dayton. Where do you I live? do. I live oh, about a mile and a half away from uh, my mom and dad and from Kim. The breeders started in Dayton when you guys were, what, teenagers? There was a f- kind of a... Yeah, you played never... together as a band called the breeders? No, no. We, me and Kelly would play the yeah. ground round. Yeah. Do you remember the ground round? It, they had peanuts on the floor. Mm-hmm, and popcorn on the table. Right, right, right. And at least in my town, how much you weighed was how much you paid. Did they have that in your town? God, no. So if the, kid, if the kid was 83 pounds, he paid 83 cents. Wow. We were a little more advanced than Dayton, I guess. We had ground round technology. Weird. That's so you played weird. the ground round. That's illegal. You I'm can't even do that. Probably is. So you played the ground round as what? Just Kim and Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that your first public performance? No. Our, I don't know what actually what the very first public performance was. It probably had something to do with audience appreciation and clapping. Right. Mic night. Open mic night. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Oh, Sam's. Sam's. That was one. Yes. Sam's was a bar in downtown Dayton, and yeah. we weren't 18. So did you have to bluff your way in? or? No, but we were told that we were very unprofessional. The mic kept slipping down, and we got into a giggle fit. Right, because it kept falling off the stand. It's awful to get into a giggling fit. You know, when you... Well, if you're like 17-year-old girls, I mean, I think people oh, allow for it's it. It's awful. No. 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 So what... Okay, so when you were playing Sam's, what kind of songs did you play? I don't remember, but I do remember we being did original. We, unsuc- we did original music, and this is Kelly speaking. Why are you yelling at me? Because I can. <laughs> we did original music and we did some covers as really? well. Really? What'd you yeah. cover back then? We did, oh gosh, Blind Faith. We did an Elvis Costello song. We did a lot of Hank Williams. Oh, cool. Yeah, we did I th- We did really good songs, I think. You know who else is from Dayton? I didn't want to mention this, but Rick Derringer is from Dayton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you know him? No. No? no. Did you ever cover Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo? No. <laughs> Lordy Mama, Light My Fuse. It's a great lyric. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at me like it's not a great lyric, Kim. I, I, I actually never really realized that that really was the lyric. It is the lyric. Isn't that isn't the it? lyric? I'm just doing it from memory, but I think that's the lyric. Yeah. And then they got the backing vocalist that go, Light my fuse! Rock and roll! I'm sorry? Sorry, I just wanted to jam with the breeders for a second. That was my moment. What we're going to do is, I know you played songs before I got here, and I want to disclose that and not do the th- whole thing where I go, hey, play a song. You recorded this before we started speaking, but what song do you think we'll play first? It's up to you. You could DJ Um, Let's do one from the new record. Like, okay. let's do Night of Joy first. Okay. Night of Joy it is. All right, one, two, three. Stop the wave of 
Tell me about Night of Joy. What did we just hear? Night of Joy. Yeah. You just heard Night of Joy off of Mountain Battles, the new Breeders record. Oh my God, it's Alison nice. Steele, the Nightbird. Did I sound like somebody? Do you know her? No. Oh yeah, on New York radio, she would do the uh, midnight to three shift and always end the shift with a poem. Um, Kelly, I have heard that you, the reason you weren't on the first Breeders album, Pod, was because you were working at the time and couldn't get out of work? Correct. And what were you working at? What was your job? Uh, at that time, where did I work? I worked at Dynamics Research Corporation. Really? Yeah, that it's a like defense one of those, contractor. It is. Defense contractor, How yeah. were your security clearances? I had a top-secret security clearance. Really? Yes, we worked with a mathematical model developed by the RAND um, Corporation. Corporation. Yeah. yeah, from Utah. Wow. Think tank. Get out of town. Kid you not. We, um, I don't know. the Pixies wanted to get her to be the drummer. Yeah. But she wouldn't do that. No, I didn't want to be in the Pixies. Why not? I wanted to be in Kim's band. And I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. <laughs> did you feel like the Pixies? Did you see uh, the writing I thought they, the were, great. they Char- were great. No, Charles is a fantastic songwriter. The songs were amazing. He's a really nice guy. But I did not want to do that. I wanted to be in Kim's band. I like the music that she writes. But you held out. But then when the first album came around, you, you oh, were still working. Well, I had to, you, you know. You couldn't get off of work. No, I couldn't. The next album, Safari... Safari was um, an EP, and I was able to get off of work for that. And yeah. I went to New York and did it here in New York. Now, Kim did make the drinky drinky motion. That is that is somewhat true, yes? I don't know when what... I mean, that's true. That just is a thread that goes throughout. Although, how that affects that particular decision, I don't know. She just likes to do that motion. It was just funny because you were talking about lots of stuff. And then she just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of a physical Tourette's that she has. <laughs> wow, that, I guess, makes you be terse. The threat of the drinky drinky motion. Nah. Holding just, over just your head. Just ignore. Now, when you were first in the Pixies, what's the story? You said you could play bass and you couldn't, or you just didn't own a bass? Kim. Um, uh, I don't remember if I've ever said that. I mean, everybody can play bass. <laughs> I can't. Can't they? <laughs> no. You just go whoop. Sorry, Mondo. <laughs> 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 well, you played guitar. That was your... 
instrument. Right. So the fact that I couldn't play bass isn't, I mean, if you play guitar, you can play bass. I'm not, I mean, not very well. I don't think I can play bass. I'm not saying I can, I'm a bass player, but I can play the bass. But you responded to an ad that combined a couple bands that no one else, I guess, responded Husker to. Husker doing Peter, Paul, and Mary. There you go. And you, you really liked those bands. That wasn't like, oh, those guys are being funny. I liked Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I, that, well, they were being funny because they said no chops. <laughs> so, so I've never answered an ad before. I've never answered an ad before. So that was it. That was your one ad you answered. Yeah, and I was the you only the person Pixies. who answered that ad. You got, some cre- <laughs> you got cred from that, and you never had to answer an ad again. All right, what's the next song we're going to hear? Let's do, should we do Driving on Nine? This was from Last Splash. Kelly played violin on this on this take. Can really you just pick good. up any instrument? You play so many. She's Apparently. Re- she's really good. She awesome. was really very musical. Thanks. Well, let's Thanks. hear it. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Driving on Nine. You could be a shadow beneath the street light. Behind my home Driving on nine I sure miss you Past the motels Looking at the pines Driving on nine Looking for one thirty Maybe I passed it
guys, you guys are not breeders yet, correct? Or perhaps correct. Perhaps you will never be breeders. Who knows? That what is the correct. Holds. If you were to have twins, would you go with the same letter and the first name thing? How did that work out for you in your lives? I thought it was fine. <laughs> Kim, pass. Oh come on. We need a comment. We, did you feel? Did you feel unfairly? Stupid question. Like, How's that for a comment? Come on. <laughs> I need to demand a comment. <laughs> I never oh, yeah. heard his feelings. Like my my brother's name is Kevin. Really? Yeah. What are your parents' names? Christy and Carl. Is that She's true? So no, it's not. No, I can tell it wasn't that be true. Great? Yeah, they have no, a friend named tell. they have a I friend named Kyle that. too. They have a friend named Kyle. You mean with K? Is Christy with the K? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, Carl? Yeah, Carl with the K. It's a whole thing. I want to thank all the breeders, Jose, Mondo, and the two Deal Sisters. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Bye. I had a good time, and so did I. You can see the video of the breeders performing in BPP Studios at npr.org slash Park. Up next, movies with Dan Holloway on the Brian Park Project from NPR News. Welcome back to the Brian Park Project from NPR News. We are on Digital FM, Sirius Satellite Radio, online at npr.org slash Park. Also available on the tarmac at McCarran International Airport while you wait for your flight to depart. And we're in the background of certain Herbie Hancock videos. And on the couch, what are you doing on the couch? Bad listener. And if you sync us up just right to the Wizard of Oz, it's really trippy. It's like one is commenting on the other. We're now available as a flavor strip. Mm. Just put it right on the roof of your mouth. It dissolves. You get the whole show. And heard in better Spanish tabernas everywhere. Transcripts of the show are available as henna tattoos. We're also emanating from the Earth's vibrations. Dude. And eight tracks at better garage sales everywhere. Also available in a resealable pouch. We're also on the 838 to Tacoma with a layover in the Phoenix Sky Harbor. I love the name of that airport. Mashed up by Danger Mouse with an album by Pink, so it's now the Rose album. We're also on time and under budget. And on second and short, we're gonna fake long and just go for the run. But you knew I was going to say that. I'm Mike Pesca. What do I do now? <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. Of course you didn't know that was going to happen, Mike Pesca. We faked you out. You totally faked me Because we out. wanted to say on your last day with us, after so many months of such heavy lifting and such hard work on our behalf, we wanted to say you thank mean, you. You mean lifting me with heavy lifting? No, no. It's you did all the heavy lifting. And I, I personally, this is Trisha, the editor. I really appreciate everything you've done for us. And uh, I, I, I just wanted to say, you kind of found a little comedy niche in that C-block return that no one had found before you. And we used to just like sit in the control room and go, that was awesome. So we just wanted to put that together for you. I had no idea uh, that anyone was listening. Yeah, <laughs> we were. You. And we appreciated it. So I thought for sure I was offending the brass. No, not at all. Which is well, good enough I'm not for me. the brass, so that you might have been. alone would have been the reason to do it. There you go. Do I toss to news yes, now or do. has it all gone screwy? All right, here he is. The uh, So, should I say, you know, on digital, on FM, on Sirius Satellite Radio, online at npr.org slash Brian Park, and I'm on my way out. But first, let's get the latest news headlines from the BPP's Mark Garrison. This is NPR. Thank you very much, Mike. The stage is set for the first war crime trial at Guantanamo, this after a judge refused to delay it. So the trial of Osama bin Laden's driver, Slim Hamdan, starts Monday. NPR's Nina Totenberg has more. Hamdan is charged with conspiracy and material support for terrorism. Government lawyers said in court yesterday that he was arrested while transporting missiles to the front in Afghanistan. 
His lawyer said he was just a driver and that the crimes he's charged with are not war crimes under the Geneva Conventions. In addition, they contended that Hamdan's basic rights are being unconstitutionally violated under the rules set up for the trial. For instance, statements obtained during coercive interrogation can be used against the accused, as can his own statements obtained during 50 days of sleep deprivation. Judge Robertson acknowledged that in the end, some of this could possibly prove to be unconstitutional and could invalidate any resulting conviction. But that judgment, he said, cannot be made until after the trial. NPR's Nina Totenberg reporting. And bad news for Mississippi. That state topped an obesity survey for the fourth year in a row. The Centers for Disease Control tracks the percentage of obese adults. Nearly a third of Mississippians are overweight. But listeners should know Mississippi native and BPP web editor Laura Conaway is remarkably fit and trim. She bikes to work. That is your news for now. More online at NPR.org. This is NPR. Now for one last time, I send it back to Mike Pesca, American hero. (laughs) Thank you, sir. I'll take that and, uh, you know, think that it was a little undersold. I have done a lot for this country, but I'll take it in stride. Thanks, Mark. So this week in theater is a dark and brooding tale of an anti-hero who operates on the edges of society, and I still don't understand why they weaved a dozen ABBA songs into that premise, but maybe Daniel Holloway, our movie expert, could explain it to me. Um, well, you have to come up with something different to do with Batman every now and then, and yeah. you know, Christian Bale looks uh, really good when he's uh, doing chore- choreographed routines to Dancing that was, Queen. That was a way to go. Or maybe... I I just, ah, I see I've done an unedited mashup. That's too bad. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about Batman for a second. Yeah. Perhaps you'll remember last time you were on the show and the word Batman came up. You didn't disparage, but you weren't so effusive in your praise of Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. You said it didn't belong in the top ten superhero movies of all time. And at that moment, a I got, few of our producers stormed the studio and almost beat you about the chest and head. Yeah, let, let's let's be uh, let's be straight about it. I got jumped. Yeah, <laughs> you got, <laughs> I jumped. got jumped. You were assaulted. So let's talk about, let's talk about the history. You can start anywhere from the comic books to the, its antecedents. But you didn't love Burton's '89 Batman. I didn't love Burton's '89 Batman. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it holds up it is uh archetypal and it it certainly laid the groundwork for what nolan's batman has done and uh, i'm getting some threatening looks from outside the studio right now i'm not gonna say it sucks boys (laughs) it sucks (laughs) right now dan pashman (laughs) and ian shalag are making uh (laughs) making the hired goon motion so i guess this means you're gonna have to like the dark knight which i don't think they've seen but they've already decided they're gonna love it what do you what do you think of the dark knight the dark knight is probably the most perfect film version of batman that we've received Good so to hear. Um, let I, I guess what everyone is watching for in this movie is Heath Ledger. Um, was it his the last performance he ever last movie he ever acted in before he died, or just the last one that's going to be released? No, he'll be in uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, Doctor. I can't remember the first part of the title at the moment. Uh, do, uh, the something of Doctor Parnassus, which he had shot yeah. um, a piece of about a third of the movie before he died. And what they've done since then is gone back. And done a sort of uh, I'm not there type thing where Johnny Depp and some other actors will then play dif- play the character at different points in the movie. Okay, that'll be cool. I mean, Terry Gilliam could pull that off. So let's hear a little of uh, Heath Ledger in, you really, you know, the Joker. What a role. The ability to chew the scenery, to add something to it, to build on Jack and everyone who's ever, I guess, Cesar Romero. But let's hear <laughs> Heath Ledger as the Joker in Batman The Dark Knight. This town deserves a better class of criminal. And I'm going to give it to them. Tell your men they work for me now. This is my city. 
So, you know, I don't know if I can assess the performance there, but as you watched Heath Ledger embody the Joker, were you just watching the Joker or were you constantly evaluating this is Heath Ledger's last performance, thinking about Heath Ledger, or did he just pull it off? I, I was quite surprised at how quickly I forgot that it was Heath Ledger, which is something that I never... Uh, that you don't forget when you're watching the original Batman movie. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I my opinion differs from a lot of people's, but it is Jack's movie, and I will give him that. This yeah. is Heath's movie, but I feel that one of the reasons he does such a better job with the character, and it is a differently imagined character, is that I forget that I'm watching Heath Ledger very quickly. I know Jack Nicholson has his own persona, and I know that though when he was cast, people were very excited to see him. You know, there's an overlap between the manic energy of the Joker and things he brought to other roles. With Heath Ledger, you know, he was great in Brokeback Mountain. I don't know how many other movies that were, you know, released in America where he was the star convinced people to say, like they say of Jack, oh, I really want him to get into this role and see what he could do with it. A respected actor, certainly an accomplished actor, not necessarily the kind of actor you just would love to see him, you know, have at a role like this. And I think that plays to his favor because he's not bringing any uh, preconceived notions about how he will play the character to the character. I don't think anyone thought before you started seeing it. I mean, there was plenty of stuff on the web about this movie beforehand, so he kind of knew where the character was going to go. He couldn't avoid it. But I don't think when it was first announced and you hadn't started seeing clips yet that you could really predict based on his past work what Heath Ledger was going to do with the Joker. And I think that what he's done is turn him into a much more morbid and gruesome character. Uh, interestingly, they play a little bit more with, uh, you know, the Joker's been written dozens of different ways, and they play a little bit more with the idea of him as a mob boss and then kind of fade out of that and get more into, you know, him as just a complete lunatic with yeah. a sort of you know almost jihadist outlook on the world interesting and so we haven't mentioned christian bale maybe because christian bale is the kind of guy who reminds me of a really shimmery shiny piece of furniture with hard edges you know really <laughs> sleek or the hood of a sports sports car where you see your reflection off it but it doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh you know soft corners so I, we all saw christian bale in the last batman he was really good how is he in this batman you know that's the thing about batman is you, you kind of they're they're never asked to be the star yeah uh, you know because you're in the suit you're under the cowl what can you do yeah, yeah and you're kind of surrounded by you know the nature of the character is to be serious and dark in the face of uh you know a load of lunatics and in the last movie we got this very sort of joseph campbell hero's quest notion of batman complete with qui-gon jinn yeah um this movie is uh, more of that sort of Burton-esque thing where you have a Batman who you kind of know everything that you need to know about him and you're really watching the sort of characters that are in his orbit. Bale holds the center fine. Uh, he's, I, I think he's very good Bruce Wayne. Uh, I think people always forget that when you're playing right. Batman, Batman and Bruce Wayne are, are two different characters. And when you're playing Bruce Wayne, ideally you're playing him as Batman playing the character of Bruce Wayne. And he's quite good at that. Um, the only other thing I'll say about Bale is that he he does a, he changes his voice whenever he's in the suit. Yeah, and uh, it drops to this incredibly low rasp where it sounds like he's smoking two packs of Marlboro Reds a day. Uh, it, it doesn't really doesn't really work for me after a little while. We're spending a lot of time on this, but it's 
probably is going to be the biggest movie of the summer, the yeah. most anticipated movie to many. My problem with the first one, which I thought was great, and I, w- I appreciated Christopher Nolan for giving us a backstory that I think was new. I mean, there are so many iterations in the comics, but sort of explaining he had like this ninja training and, you know, every everything that Liam Neeson brought to it. But I think almost all movies, all decent movies, pretty much start off good. I mean, you have to grab the viewer originally. And setting up premises are easier than paying off premises. I thought that movie was backwards. I thought that movie started off confusingly and I didn't love but then in the end, so the second two acts were a lot better than the first. How's the pacing of this movie? It's a completely different movie. Um, everything, everything about this movie is different. What I was saying before about the the first one being the sort of, you know, Campbell-esque uh, hero's quest thing, that's just all thrown out the window here. We uh, introduce our principles and we immediately start fighting. That's cool. And it's and even the the city itself, Gotham City, you know, Burton's Gotham City was probably the best thing about those films. Uh, Nolan's Gotham City looks more like a normal city, but even in the first film, it looked like the sort of decaying future city thing. This is just Chicago. This mm-hmm. is Chicago. And surprisingly, Chicago at 4 p.m. A lot of this movie takes place in the daytime, which you don't expect from a Batman movie. Um, it is. It does feel much, much different. You're not concerned so much with the arc of the character. You're concerned with the chain of events and what and who will survive to see the end of them. Okay, let's go from dark to light. Very light. Mamma Mia. A new. F- I guess if you if one of the things a film should do is honor the text, it's not hard. The text is a musical that was slopped together that I saw from a bunch of ABBA songs. The songs are fine. The musical doesn't seem to make sense premise wise. What'd you think of Mamma Mia? What what could possibly be your problem with the movie with the musical <laughs> that's premise is a girl has three dads, three potential dads, and invites them all to her wedding and they all show up yeah. and they sing ABBA songs. I don't know I don't see the I don't see the flaws in this. Sometimes I watch episodes of Jerry Springer and they do the DNA test and I say to myself, instead of that, why didn't they just sing ABBA songs to figure it out? Yeah. That would be a better show, Probably. no doubt. Um, yeah, this is this is an adaptation of that, and uh, you know you just have to. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief that you got to bring like, to this movie. I can't believe Pierce Brosnan thinks he can sing. That sort of disbelief. <laughs> Come on, SOS. He does. He does. He does. He does an entertaining enough job. Part of the fun of this movie is watching people like Brosnan kind of wrestle with the silliness of what they're doing, and it it goes beyond. I'm going to – I don't think I've been quite clear yet. I love this movie. Wow. I love this movie. If you can't enjoy watching Pierce Brosnan and Meryl Streep and Colin Firth act drunk for two hours, then you don't belong in the movie theater. This is a fun movie. Let us hear the grand lady of American cinema, Meryl Streep, singing Money, Money, Money. I work all night. I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. There never seems to be a single penny left for me. Don't sit down there. That's too bad. It's broken. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a Oh, man. So it's a fun movie. You love the movie. It's it seems a fun like, movie. It seems like great counter-programming. It's it, the anti-Batman. It is the anti-Batman. Uh, for it's, yeah, I would say, I don't want to be patronizing, it's for the ladies who wouldn't like 
Batman, or the boys who wouldn't like Batman. It is definitely a good movie to have coming out in the same weekend because they will not draw from the same well. Yeah, I know. Most taglines on movies are things like, for anyone who's ever had a dream, this is for anyone who doesn't want to see Batman. <laughs> uh, who plays the daughter in it, by the way? Uh, the Her name is Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. And she is the girl whose boob predicted the weather in Mean Girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. And she's, Loved all you know, those Mean Girls. She's all right. She's fine, and I, I think she's she's a charming little actress, and she'll probably get some more work after this. But I will say this. The fun of this movie is watching the older actors try to figure out what they're doing in this film. And the younger actors kind of all look like they're in High School, high school Musical 3 or something. Well, I don't know if theaters are big enough for a third movie this weekend, but there is one. Trans-Siberian, Woody Harrelson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, good cast. What? We got to do it quickly, but tell me. So this is like some train thing going on. What did you like it? What's it about in a nutshell? Uh, good cast. It's about uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, Emily Mortimer uh, play missionaries coming from uh, traveling from Beijing to Moscow on a uh, train, and um, they get uh, involved in some drug smuggling stuff. Ben Kingsley plays a Russian narc cop. It's okay. It's not as good as it could be. Good cast, though. Okay. Good cast. Doing okay. Thanks. Daniel Holloway is the man who does the movies. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's Thank been you, a great sir. Pleasure. It has been an excellent, excellent. That pleasure. is it for this hour of the BPPA. Uh, Mike, I need to interrupt you. Sorry, we uh, we faked you out with the old clock there. You actually have more time than you realize. Sorry, oh buddy. You did. We, we just wanted to send you off here in, in style. We appreciate so much all the hard work you did on the show. And a while back, uh, around the time of Tim Russert's passing, you as a Bruce Springsteen fan said that you didn't want to hear Thunder Road at your funeral. That was my funeral. Since the, Well, it's your BPP funeral. You're now officially dead to all of us. Okay, very good. And uh, you said you wanted to hear The Promised Land. Yeah. Which is a great, great Bruce song. Sure. And we got a live version here off Live Box Set 1975 to 1985. And that's uh, how we're going to send you off in style. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there that love the Mike Pesca hosting the BBB. Some people, not as much. <laughs> one thing's for sure, when Mike Pesca's hosting the show, everyone knows Mike Pesca's hosting the show. And, right. that, and that's meant as a compliment. I'll take it. I'll, I'll ride along that Rattlesnake Freeway in the Utah desert, and I'll sign us off. I think it still is my responsibility. That is it for this hour of the BPP. We are always online at npr.org slash Park. I am Mike Pesca. Take her home, Allison. You get her for next week, one more week of this thing. It has been, a, it has been my great pleasure to work with all of you people. This is the Brian Park Project from NPR News. Take a knife and cut the-